Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Travis, and I'm also a pastor here, and um, I, I had the privilege of speaking last week, and last week we talked about um, how to deal with the temptation that comes our way, the temptation to feel, the temptation to have, the temptation to be something that we're constantly bombarded by, and we talked about, you know, one of the ways that we fight is not by just um, getting defensive and, and trying to hunker down and protect ourselves but we actually live lives that are marked by generosity. That's how we make war on this temptation to have. And we open our hands with what we've got. And so that's what we're doing when we receive an offering is we're opening our hands and we're practicing a life of generosity. Um, But we also give of our time here. And the truth is, is that your time is worth more than money. Some of you love uh, writing A check, it's easier than giving your time for you. For others, it's easier to give your time than your money. For some of you, you would rather, rather give money than your time. Your time is more valuable than money because people pay you for your time. So time trumps money. And uh, I just want to charge you, I want to encourage you this morning to live a life of generosity, opening your hands with what you've got, and serving in the children's ministry. This church has grown quite a bit. We're excited about that. The amount of volunteers serving in our children's ministry has not. There's 124 people serving in the kids' ministry. When we had 300 people in this church, we had 124 people serving in the kids' ministry. Now there's close to 600 people a part of this church, and we still have 124 people serving in the children's ministry. What that means is that the church is growing, the kids' ministry is growing, but the amount of volunteers is not. That doesn't work. That load is landing squarely on the shoulders of few, and it needs to be many. So I am charging you, sign up for the children's ministry. It takes 23 volunteers each service to pull off what we do uh, with our kids. So it's 46 volunteers each Sunday. That's 184 volunteers a month if everybody's serving once a month, which is our goal. So we need 40 new volunteers from each service. So we asked the 9 a.m., hey, would you come at 9 a.m., and then would you serve at the 11? And now we're asking those who come to the 11 a.m., come at the 11, but would you come once a month and serve our kids at 9 a.m. We've said this before. It's worth saying again, if you want to see growth or change in your life, which I'm guessing you do, that's why you come here. You're interested in seeing progress. You're interested in taking ground. You're interested in seeing change. The best way to see change in your life is diet and exercise. You've heard it before, but if you're eating right and you're not exercising, you're not seeing the results that you could be. You could be exercising every day and eating like hell and you're not going to see any results, right? So the push 
from those that train you is diet and exercise. Do both of these things if you want to see results. Do both of these things if you want to see results. Come eat at 11 and then serve the 9 a.m. Exercise, work that out. Disciple, pour into, serve. Be generous, not just with your money, but with your time. It can be really easy as a church grows to assume that we don't need you. That's, that's not correct. That is not correct. We have more kids coming, more kids being discipled than ever, and we need you. Well, I'm with kids all day. That's exactly why we need you. You've got skills, and we need them. Well, I teach all week. That's exactly why we need you. You've got gifts that we can put to work to disciple our kids, and we're excited about it. So you can sign up after the service today. Gwen will be back there along with Mary waiting at a table to sign you up to serve our children. You'll have to go through a background check so that we can keep our kids safe. They're also going to ask you questions. When do you want to serve? Who do you want to serve with? What age group do you connect with most so that we can plug you in hopefully to an area where it, you know, it's a real sweet spot for you and you can serve? We need you. All hands on deck. Don't assume that we don't. Sign up today. All right. Third through sixth graders. I need you to go sign up right now to care for yourself and to dog eat dog world out there. But God's with you. Uh, I'm going to release you guys with a teacher. Uh, that was a joke. Sorry if you're new here for joking. Third through sixth graders, you guys can go and teachers, you can go with them. You guys are released. Be blessed. Grow to know Jesus. We're in a series here at Radiant on the heart, and today I want to talk about forgiveness from the heart. And so we're going to jump right in. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, and my hope is to finish with 15 minutes for us to worship and receive prayer. My hope is to finish with some time left to do business. I hope you came to do business. We're not here um, to play church. We're here to get after it. For any of you who've tried to forgive, you know that it's messy. You know that it's difficult. You know that it doesn't come naturally to you. What comes naturally is holding a grudge. What comes naturally is taking vengeance. What comes naturally is making people pay. And it's hard work to open your hands with what you're holding on to. It's messy. It's bloody. It always has been. It's always involved a cross. It's always involved death to self. And so that's what we're here to do. I hope that you came to play. Um, I hope that you came to do uh, business. We celebrated St. Patrick's Day last week. I celebrated St. Patrick's Day. I hope that you uh, did too. St. Patrick's Day was a big deal in my house growing up. It was one of the major holidays in my house growing up. My mom and dad made sure of that. We would rent Darby O'Gill and the little people every year. Corned beef for sure. Everything was green. And it was, it was important. Every St. Patrick's Day I think about, um, I think about 1999. And 1999 was the year that I spent St. I spent Patrick's Day in Ireland with Matt Sampietro. And we, all, we actually got to celebrate it over there, which was a little bit different. I found out that they don't like corned beef, that it's a bit like spam. They don't eat it. And so it was kind of like, where's the corned beef? We don't watch that. 
you know, or we don't eat that, and then it's like, where's Darby O'Gill and the little people? We don't watch that, you know. It's like, well, then what do you guys do? And they drink for about three or four days. What we do for one day, they do for about three or four. Everybody comes from all over the world, and I'm not sure St. Patrick would be into any of it. But before Matt and I left, we wanted to go to Ireland to pray. I was pretty new to the church, and, um, but I, I felt this burden, like I wanted to go to Ireland and I wanted to pray. I wanted to pray for Ireland, pray for God to move in Ireland. And I, I, you know, I know a lot of people um, experience or have a kind of a connection with that, with that uh, little island. But So Matt and I wanted to go, we wanted to pray. So Matt and I met with this, this really good uh, missionary. Um, we went and met with a guy named uh, Chuck Ellis, and Chuck Ellis knew a lot about missions. So Matt and I sat down and we said, hey, we want to be missionaries for a couple weeks. We want to go to Ireland and pray. And so Chuck gave us some really helpful, helpful tips on how to, how to go, how to engage, how to pray. But one of the things that he said for us while talking to us is he said, hey guys, like I keep hearing this song as I'm talking to you, and I feel like this song is going to be like your song. And you know, I'm like 19, kind of new uh, to the church thing. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want a song with Matt Sampietro, you know. I'm like, is that song like a boys to men song? Is that um, song from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Like, what, what is my song with Matt Sampietro? This seems kind of weird, and I'm not sure if I want one. And he said, well, the song, Be Thou My Vision, keeps coming to mind. And I believe that you guys will actually experience this song and live this out um, while you're there going forward and following Jesus and and praying for Ireland. So Matt and I get to Ireland and um, some great things are happening. We end up at what is a youth or young adult conference and they find out that we're there from California and that we're there to pray. And this is in Dublin. And so they call us forward. And, And the pastor asks a really simple question of Matt. You can ask Matt about what happened, but this pastor asked Matt a really simple question. He says, so why are you guys here? And why are you guys here to pray? Kind of a thing. And Matt says, because God loves Ireland, all of Ireland. And I can't, it sounds cliche. It sounds no duh. But when Matt said those words, it was like the weight of God's heart for the people of Ireland landed on the room. And I can't remember what happened, but I remember weeping because I sensed God's heart, that that was actually true, that it wasn't just something we were saying. God backed what was said with a sense of His presence in the room. And all I can remember is that I started to cry and that the whole room started to pray. God, reveal Yourself, show Yourself. We know You have a heart for people in Ireland. Uh, Would You show up and, you know... um, you know, just do great things in this, in this country. So we're, cr- we're on the ground praying and crying, like the type of praying that you can't make happen, the type of praying that, like, happens to you, you know, and you're like, what is going on? I try so hard every morning to pray, and it doesn't work, and now all of a sudden it's flowing from my life. <laughs> and, and the pastor, Willie, is a, I can't remember his last name, but his first name was Willie, He stands up and he says, I know what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to sing, Be Thou My Vision. And I had never heard that song. We're supposed to sing, Be Thou My Vision. And then I just started crying even harder. Because I thought, what in the world, God? What are you doing? What are you orchestrating? Why are we in the middle of it? 
Why would you have us come? What are you doing? I mean, just overwhelmed with God working, doing what God does. Just overwhelmed. So I'm crying even harder until Willie looks down at us and he says, stand up, lads, and sing it like Irishmen. You know, it was like, (laughs) stop crying. Stand up and sing it like Irishmen. So doggone it, it was like... And we, we stood up and we sang it from our gut. You know, I'd never sung it before. And like most hymns, you're pretty familiar with the first couple verses. And then the further it goes, you're like, what? I don't even know what that word means, you know. But we're just singing like Irishmen, you know. Like, I mean, just really giving it everything we got. Just singing from the gut, you know. And so I just want to ask you, would you stand up with me? And we're going to pray this prayer like Irishmen. Stand up, lads. Sing it like Irishmen. I want to pray a prayer as we begin. A prayer that has been a model prayer for thousands of years. A a prayer that Jesus prayed that was designed to teach us how to pray. But I don't want you just to pray it with your lips. I, I want you to pray it from your guts. And we'll pray it together out loud. Don't worry if you get off rhythm or off course. Um, Keep praying. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You can be seated. This prayer has for quite some time modeled for us as a church how we should approach God. Jesus was asked, how do we pray? And he says, this is how how you go about it. This is how you go about approaching God. And in this prayer, Jesus reveals a bunch of things that we can ask God to do. A bunch of things that we can not only ask God to do, but a bunch of things that we can expect God to do. Are you seeing them? Jesus is saying, tell Him this. When you talk to God, tell Him this and expect Him to do this. When you approach God, you can expect these things. We can expect God to lead us. We can ask for it and we can expect it. Jesus said it. We can come and we can ask God to deliver us. We can expect Him to deliver us. We can come asking God to feed us. We can come expecting God to provide for us. We can come to God expecting Him to forgive us. We can ask, but not only do we ask, but we expect. God, I know that this is Your heart, this is Your desire, that You're wanting to extend this. We can come to Him and we can say, God, send Your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do what you want to do. 
But in this prayer, you will only find one thing that we are in charge of. We can expect God to do all of those things. There's one thing that we're in charge of. Jesus is saying to His disciples, look, when you're praying, when you're praising, when you're petitioning God, when you come to Him, make sure to let God know. Make sure to let Him know you're doing this one thing. Make sure that you're releasing and pardoning people who don't deserve to be released or pardoned. When you come to God, you're in charge of one thing. And I don't know about you guys, but I suck at that one thing. We've got like one job. God's got all these things. Lead us, give us, provide for us, do these things, deliver us. God's got a long list of things to do. We've got one thing that we need to do. Make sure that you're doing this. And I don't know about you guys, but I struggle to do this. I'm sure there's not a single person in this room that would raise their hand and say, I've got it down. This forgiveness thing comes naturally. It comes easily. And I can confidently approach God and say, God, I'm doing that one thing. That one thing that you told me to do. The word forgiveness, if you've noticed, shows up six times in this short prayer. Jesus is laying out a model for us and He's saying, when you talk to God, Expect to talk to him for, about forgiveness. It shows up a ton in this prayer. When you come, when you approach, when you petition, when you praise, when you pray, expect to talk about forgiveness. Church, when you come before God, expect to talk about forgiveness. Expect that it's going to be brought up. It's the one thing that we're asked to do here. Why? Why so much talk about forgiveness? Life uh, I, I don't need to, you know, this is, again, you're glad you pay me the big bucks to tell you this, but life hurts. Life hurts. You will be hurt, and you will hurt people. Life is full of pain. And Jesus knew this. He's no stranger to this. And he tells these guys, when you come before God, you should expect to talk about this because life hurts, or as R.E.M. says, everyone hurts. We can all agree that you're going to take some shots. And so, when you talk to God, expect to talk to Him about forgiveness. So, I know, you know it's not going to take me long to convince you of these two things, but we'll start by me saying to you that God is calling us to forgive. That He wants us to be like Him in this way, and we're bad at it. Profound, right? You could have stayed home. You knew this. You knew that God was calling for it. You knew that you were bad at it. So, I want to um, talk about uh, forgiveness. In order to get to some real solutions um, to the problem, the problem being uh, how difficult it is and our inability to do it, the problem being our proclivity to hold a grudge and to um, want to withhold the tendency in us to file IOUs away 
and to make people pay. What do we do with this tendency, this desire to make people pay? As we talk about forgiveness, the first thing I want to do is dispel some myths about forgiveness. Because I think some of you aren't engaging it because you don't have a proper understanding of it. And I believe that many people resist forgiveness because they believe some myths about forgiveness. They don't even try because they feel like they'll fail. Have you ever experienced that where someone invites you to do something you know right from the get that you can't do what they're asking you to do, so you're not interested in doing something and failing at it, so you resist forgiveness because you've believed some myths about forgiveness So really quickly, I want to talk about six things that forgiveness is not. And I also want to talk about six things that true forgiveness um, is. Um, Forgiveness is not approval of what they did. We're not asking you to forgive and approve of what they did. God never approved of our sin. Grace is not God approving of our sin. He hates sin. Part of what qualifies Him to sit as judge is not just that He's holy or other than or righteous. It's that He hates sin 10,000 more times than you do. You think that you're bothered. God. God is bothered by sin. He hates it. Jesus, who's God in the flesh, forgave a woman found in adultery. But He didn't approve of what she was doing. And He didn't say to her, hey, it's it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. There's grace for you. He certainly forgave her. And then He said, leave. Leave your life of sin. God didn't approve of sin in these biblical times. He doesn't approve of sin now. Grace is not God's sin Approval. We can forgive what we do not approve because God forgave what He did not approve. This is the way He's dealt with us. Forgiveness is not excusing what they did. I'm not asking you, and I don't believe God's asking you to excuse what they did. We don't cover the sins of other people by making excuses for them. That's not what we're asking you to do. Well, they did the best they could with what they had. It's not excusing sin. We don't point to circumstances in an attempt to explain behavior. That's not what we're doing when we forgive. Pointing to circumstances and explaining behavior. Moses is leading the children of Israel... And he's leading them across the desert and he was constantly aggravated because they were constantly complaining. Constantly grumbling. And he's fed up. And so God comes and offers him a new deal. All right, Moses. New deal. You're right. This is a tough group of people that you've got to lead, Moses. They don't follow very well. They're stubborn. They're unteachable. And so I'm going to wipe them out. And we'll start over again. That's what we'll do. New deal, Moses. I'll give you a new group of people. These ones are, in fact, difficult to lead. Moses doesn't take the deal. 
He rejects the offer and he starts to intercede for the people. He starts to come to God on behalf of the people. And when he comes to God, he doesn't come to God and excuse their behavior, which could have been pretty easy. I mean, I read that story. I actually don't read that story because that's a long story. I read the first three chapters of Exodus and then I read the end of Exodus when Moses dies because that's a long, painful story. And Moses doesn't come before God and go, God, God, don't do it. Don't wipe them out. In all fairness, it's really, really hot down here. Really hot. And we keep going in the same circles over and over again. And I don't have to remind you, God, but we've been eating the same thing. It's easy to complain when you have to eat the same thing over and over again. Excuse their sin. No, he doesn't say that. In Numbers 14, 19, Moses prays and he says, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. God forgave them. He did. But he didn't excuse them. And forgiveness is not excusing someone. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation. Those are two different things. They often go together, but they're really unrelated actions. You can have one without the other. Forgiveness is something you can do on your own. I would suggest that forgiveness has more to do with him than it does them. Reconciliation has to do with them. Reconciliation takes two parties. You can forgive without the other party. You can do it. And I think sometimes people don't attempt forgiveness because you don't want reconciliation. And I don't think you should have reconciliation with him. I believe that you should be at peace, but not necessarily in partnership with everyone. We'll read a passage from uh, Romans 12 that reiterates that. Reconciliation takes two parties, and it isn't always possible. So don't think because you haven't experienced reconciliation that you haven't experienced forgiveness. And don't resist forgiveness because you don't want reconciliation. You can forgive without being reconciled to someone. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 Really, I mean, really a jewel of, of a passage. It tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Have you read this one? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. But then Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, goes on to charge that church and says, be reconciled then to God. So you can see the two parties at work that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. God was extending Himself to the world in Christ. And then Paul's now charging the church, church, be reconciled to God. Knowing what God has done, knowing how God has extended Himself you now be reconciled because reconciliation takes two parties. Um, I'll read uh, Romans 12. Do we have a slide out of Romans 12? I thought this was a um, really uh, interesting passage. And Romans 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. You might want to circle the second evil there. What was done to you was evil. It wasn't okay. It wasn't no big deal. 
It's a big deal. It's being called here evil. Don't repay evil for evil. You don't have to excuse sin. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What I'm asking you to do is to live at peace with everyone, not to live in partnership with everyone. If, if you're in a business and someone has, you know, maybe you owned a company with someone and they've stolen, they've embezzled money, you don't have to go on in partnership with them. But you do have to go on in peace with them. You work so that when you see them at the grocery store, it doesn't get all weird inside. You got it? You don't have to be in partnership. You don't have to date him again. He's a butthole. <laughs> really? No, I'm serious. I'm giving you permission. You don't. You don't have to be. It doesn't mean if you forgive them, you don't have to be reconciled to them. Now, I believe that you should be. And if you've come to the place of true surrender, open to God bringing reconciliation. So I'm not completely letting you off the hook. But those are two separate things. Forgiveness is not denying what they did. Forgiveness is not uh, refusing to take the offense seriously. I, have you ever experienced this where you come to someone, you're pretty convicted, and you're like, hey, I need to ask your forgiveness. And they're like, no big deal. And you're like, no, it's a big deal. Uh, will you forgive me? Hey, water under the bridge. No, will you forgive me? You know, that was so long ago. Will you forgive me? Hey, you know what? don't worry about it. You know, things are crazy. I've said things that I shouldn't have said. No, will you forgive me? The tendency is to minimize or to think it's no big deal. And it's a huge deal. We just read, full-on evil. Some of the things that have gone on, just evil, what has happened to you. And I don't think that you can truly forgive until you recognize it as that. A big deal. Not asking you to deny what someone did. Not asking you to make excuses for them and just, you know, well, you know, it's uh, no real thing. That's not it. Um, God sent His Son to die for sin. Don't tell me that it's no big deal. Jesus bled for the evil that you've experienced. Don't tell me, you know, they were doing the best they could with the time they had. That, that ain't quite right. This is huge. Forgiveness is not forgetting. This is the great Christian myth, right? If you forgive, then you forget. And it's this act of like self-induced spiritual amnesia. Like that you have to forget what was done in order to forgive what is done, and until you've forgotten what was done, then you haven't forgiven what was done. This myth um, comes from a scripture in Isaiah that says God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. You've heard this before? And then I've actually heard people share things like that they came before God and, you know, and then they brought something up and God couldn't remember. And he said to them, I, I remember it no more. I have separated your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. And I remember your sin no more. Huh? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm God. And I've removed your sin. 
as far as the, and so you know and he doesn't. And there, there's some real problems with this idea, okay? Uh, namely, that you know more than God. That's a huge problem. So when you're bringing things up and God's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you're in trouble, okay? That's a, that's a problem. If that's true and God forgets, that means that there's stories in your Bible that he can't remember. And you're like, well, there was this David guy and he slept with this lady. You don't remember? I don't remember. I separated it from him as far as the east is from the west, you know. That is not what God is saying when we read that he remembers them no more. God does not forget the way we forget when we misplaced keys. That's not what we're talking about here when we say God remembers them no more. It means that He no longer responds to us in light of those sins. When it says that He forgets them, it says they no longer derail our relationship with Him. To say that God forgets is to say that He feels about us the way He would feel if He had forgotten. But you're not bring, it's not new news to Him. He's no longer treating you as your sins deserve. Those sins, those things that you've come to Him and asked forgiveness for no longer derail your relationship with Him. It doesn't um, mean that God all of a sudden had a thought pop into His head. When we say that God remembers, when the Bible says God remembers, it doesn't mean that, oh, you know, I had a thought pop into my head. Noah floating around for five months. Well, no, that's not true. Forty days. Floating around for 40 days. And it says that at the end of the 40 days, God remembered him. That doesn't mean that God was like, oh, Noah, dang it. You know? You know the type of feeling you get when you leave the hose on. Oh, Noah, I left the hose on. Crud. That's not what's going on. You know what happens, where it happens for me is you turn the bath on and then you walk away and then all of a sudden like 10 minutes later you tune in to the sound of running water and then it's just a dead sprint to the bath because you know it's close. Or maybe for you it's that you put something in the oven and you forgot until smoke filled the home and then it's like, oh my goodness, I remembered. I put a pizza in the oven. So, when we think that forgiving is forgetting, we just quit altogether. When the call to forgive morphs into a call to forget, we don't even try because we feel like we can't do it. Forgiving is not forgetting. Uh, the last thing, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. You don't have to neglect justice in order to forgive someone. Forgiveness is not removing all the consequences for someone. It's not a never-ending series of second chances. It's not. You can forgive someone and then you can testify against them in court. You can forgive someone and then you can call the cops. Really. Because society may need to be protected 
from them. And they may need to pay for some of the things that they've done. When you forgive, you're giving up your right to punish. But you can turn them over to the authorities to bring some punishment. So you're saying, I'm unfit to punish. But there are things that God has set up that are fit to bring correction and punishment to them. So when I ask you to forgive, I'm not asking you to pardon or remove all consequences. What is true forgiveness? The primary word that Jesus used in Greek communicates this sense of releasing something tightly held or trapped. That when you forgive, you're releasing something held tightly or trapped, which I think really helps me to understand forgiveness. And so, take a look at these um, scriptures, and I just want to replace the word um, forgive with release. These are scriptures you might have read before, and release our debts, as we also have released our debtors. For if you release other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also release you. But if you do not release others from their sins, your Father will not release your sins. And when you stand up praying, if you hold anything against anyone, release them, so that your Father in heaven may release you from your sins. The idea is that we've got quite a few IOUs, and that the call for the Christian is to constantly be tearing up IOUs releasing the people around you. They owe me nothing. Freely I've received and now freely I give. So, here's some things that forgiveness is. Forgiveness is choosing to keep no record of wrongs. Stop keeping score. You stop keeping score. For many of us, we hold on to these IOUs. We hold on to the things that were the wrongs done to us because we use those things, don't we? We file them away and then we remember where they're at and we can access them immediately in order to use them. And we use them to wave them in people's faces. We use them to protect ourselves from being hurt in the future. But they are used. And in many ways, the choice to forgive is the choice to tear up the file, to no longer file it away, and to no longer use it in the way that you've been using it to no longer keep score. Um, We keep them in order to keep the upper hand. Some of you won't let go of the story because the story gives you the upper hand. And we keep them so that we can keep the upper hand. We also keep them so that we can keep pointing the finger and not deal with what's really going on. So you hold on to those because they give you the power to continue to point to either them or a circumstance that keeps things going on in your life. So you don't have to step up. You can just keep playing the victim. Isaiah tells us that God blesses the one who does away with the pointing of the finger. God will bless the person that stops that. Stop pointing the finger. God will bless you. Jesus, if you remember, told Peter, one of his disciples, to stop keeping score. Peter came to Jesus and said, hey, how many times should I forgive? Which is totally a scorekeeping question, right? 
And then Peter throws out a number like, hey, isn't this impressive? What if I scored this many points, you know? Or what, how far is too far? How, how far should I go in this game of forgiveness? And Jesus essentially says to him, you should stop keeping score and you should keep on forgiving. A bunch of times, Peter. Well, how many times? A bunch. Just keep going, Pete. I'll tell you when to stop. I think I know why. I think I know why Jesus said that to Peter. Because when it comes to keeping score, we all keep it in a really funny way. We have this um, crazy ability to undercount our own junk. And to multiply the mistakes of others. It's what we do when we keep score. And so forgiveness is choosing to not keep score and saying, God, you know, you see, you keep score. I'm no longer going to do this. No longer going to play this game. I don't play by the rules. It's a bit like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when, when you're wronged, you want justice. I mean, they need to pay. Someone needs to pay. And then when you wrong someone, it's almost like you demand mercy. What? I thought you forgave me of this. That was three weeks ago. Get over it. And so, (laughs) when we're hurting, we're demanding justice. When we're doing the hurting, we're demanding mercy. C.S. Lewis has many great quotes, but one is that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Everyone's here like, yeah, forgiveness is awesome, man. Preach it, Trav. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever, um, I'll watch my oldest, Avery, and, and she is pretty smart, but I'll watch her like count things with her little sisters. And it's the whole game of two for me, one for you, three for me, two for you, three for you, five for me, you know, and then you're even just watching the way the Skittles are getting divided, and like everything yellow and orange is getting pushed Remy's way. Everything red and purple is going her way. And it's just like, what kind of counting is this, you know? <laughs> this is what happens for us. We have this ability. Three for you, one for me. You know, it's just this game. And it's, you, you can't keep score. When you, when you hold on to unforgiveness and when you hold on to bitterness, you create a caricature of that person. Um, by caricature, I mean you go to Six Flags Magic Mountain and you ask them to draw you. You know, and they draw a cartoon sketch of you. And what they do is they take your two most prominent features and then they exaggerate those even more. Do you know what I'm talking about? So if your nose is a little bit big, your nose is a lot big in this a cartoon a depiction of you. If your ears are big, then your ears are really big. What they do is they focus in on a couple things that are off and then they blow those things out of proportion in order for people to recognize you. You've seen this before. When you hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, that's what you do. You're looking for certain things and you blow those things up and you forget about other things. You become totally focused on exaggerating those few features about a person. And when someone comes alongside of you and says to you, hey, so-and-so, they're pretty cool. I noticed this. You know, you're like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Big nose, big ears. Big nose, big ears. It's a caricature. 
you exaggerate certain features and you miss things that are really beautiful about them because you have this ridiculous way of keeping score. I'd resign as scorekeeper, turn in your scorecards today. Refusing to punish. Forgiveness is refusing to punish. You have two options when you're hurt. You can either get bitter or you can forgive. I know that you're thinking right now, I'm an American. I always have more than two options. Don't tell me I have two options. I can go anywhere I want and do anything I want to do. You have two options. You can forgive or you can get bitter. Bitterness, we're told in Ephesians, leads to malice. You let bitterness go, it turns into malice in your life. Malice is this, you hurt me and now I'm going to hurt you. And you may not bring physical harm to someone, but you withhold, you stonewall, you play games, you talk crap about them. I don't know what you do to get back at them, but you make them pay. One way or another, you make them pay. So there's this natural desire in all of us to see people get what's coming to them. And when you forgive, you no longer delight in evil. You no longer rejoice when people get what is coming to them because we're all real glad that we didn't get what was coming to us. Um, Forgiveness uh, turns vengeance over to God. God, you do the, the score keeping. You do the honors in your perfect uh, timing. Vengeance, it says in Scripture, is the Lord's. And so I think you need to ask yourself in dealing with the people that you have unforgiveness towards, how much of what I'm about to do is an attempt to punish them? Whether it's what I say or what I don't say. How I show up, how I don't show up. How much of it is an attempt to make them pay? How much of it is an attempt to punish? True forgiveness is being merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, says Jesus. Um, in, the Bible, in the Bible, we're told to be godly, and often in church you're encouraged to be godly. And um, obviously, when we encourage you to be godly, we're not encouraging you to be omnipotent. When we ask you to be godly, we're not asking you to know everything we know that even in our attempt to grow and become more godly, that you will never become everywhere at once. That's not in the cards for you. That's not what we mean when we say grow in godliness. But when it comes to mercy, listen to this. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. This is something uh, we can represent. This is something that we can grow into. This is something that we can show off about God and His character. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It is in your best interest to show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Forgiveness is a hard issue. We're currently in a series on the heart and true forgiveness comes from the heart. True forgiveness is not lip service. If you volunteer in the kids ministry or if you have kids of your own, you know this all too well. Because the game becomes, say you're sorry, sorry. 
No, 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 mean it, sorry. No, 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 look them in the eye, sorry. That's not it either. I don't know what I'm searching for, but it doesn't just come from your mouth. Forgive them, I forgive you. <laughs> the, be- <laughs> the best one is Finley. We'll tell Finley like, um, hey, you need to ask Remy's forgiveness. And Finley will walk up to Remy and go, I forgive you. <laughs> no, 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 you need to ask for forgiveness. I forgive you. Okay, whatever, great. This is hard. Jesus, in a, in a famous parable, says that we must forgive our brothers and sisters from our hearts. From our hearts. It's not just lip service. We've all tried it. It doesn't work. Forgiveness is the absence of bitterness. Um, bitterness is your only other option. If you want to leave here today and not deal uh, with what you're carrying, you, bitterness is your only option. And you need to understand that bitterness has... Uh, little to do with the magnitude of the fence and everything to do with the proximity of the fence. So it's the people close to you that hurt you. And it might be even small things compared to some of the massive things that have been done by those who are far from you. But we don't get bitter about things um, that we deal with that come from strangers in our lives. Oh, he broke into my house. I don't know who he is. He obviously didn't know me, and so he probably was just looking for a fix or looking for 20 bucks, and so I'm not real hurt or bitter about that guy who broke into my house. Now, if Jared comes and breaks into my house, I'm going to be dealing with a little bit of bitterness because I thought we were friends, and I thought friends worked like this, and friends don't break into each other's houses, and friends don't use meth. Friends don't do this, you know? <laughs> That's not what friends do. And, 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 and dad, you were supposed to be this kind of dad. And, and mom, you were supposed to be this kind of mom. This is how close you were to me. And so it's never about the magnitude. It's always about the proximity when dealing with bitterness. My pastor, I trusted him. And now I'm dealing with serious unforgiveness and bitterness because the hurt came from a close place or a close person. It's always got to do with that. Bitterness heads up a list of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Bitterness heads up a list of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. For some of us who come from like the, the free side of things, there's nothing worse than grieving the Holy Spirit. There's nothing worse than infringing on someone's freedoms. There's nothing worse than saying, you can't do this, you know? And I would say that bitterness heads up the list of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness heads up the, thing, th- the things that bring bondage to a church community and keep a people captive. It is the thing infringing on your freedom. It is the thing we have to deal with. Um. Really quickly, you know that you're done and that there's no bitterness when you can share a story and it doesn't have the little zing on the end of it. You know, there's like two ways to tell a story. And, and if you don't know if you're done with bitterness, you should just ask someone who you just told the story to. 
Was there some zing on that? Yeah, there's some zing on that. You need to do some work. You're still dealing with bitterness. It was very evident in the way that you talked. But I've also heard people hop up and share their testimonies about what their parents did to them. Horrific stuff. And you could tell that the sting is gone. The story's there. The sting is gone. For a lot of us, the story's still there. And the sting is still in it. You'll know that there's no bitterness when the sting is removed from the story. So how do we do it? Well, wait. The last one, ongoing. Uh, forgiveness is ongoing. It's not a one-time event. Don't expect to um, you know, do it and then move on. And it can, be, it can be really discouraging sometimes to feel like, well, I thought I forgave. And I thought that I moved on, but I'm still dealing with these same things. I want to ask you to stay at it. Stay at it. Practice forgiveness, rehearse forgiveness as much as you've rehearsed that story. Because you've rehearsed that story quite a few times. And it has developed quite a rut inside your mind. And I don't think that you should expect that by saying one thing one time that you're going to create a whole new highway inside your head when you've been going down the same well-worn path over and over again. You are the most influential person in your life. You talk to yourself more than anyone. In your head, you're the man. You see it all straight. And you keep telling yourself, this is what's up, this is what's up. Start rehearsing forgiveness. Rehearse forgiveness as much or let's just say a quarter of the amount of times that you've rehearsed that story, and I guarantee you, you'll be making some headway. You'll be, things will be breaking loose in your life. If you stop yourself from telling the story, and you say to yourself, no, I bless them. I bless them. I let that go. I tore up that IOU. They owe me nothing. They owe me nothing. This is done. This has been dealt with on the cross. This has been dealt with between me and you, God. I've held on to that story for too long because it it enabled me to do all of these things and to be all of these ways, and I'm done with that. If you stopped that story repeatedly by just saying, they owe me nothing, they owe me nothing, I let them go. I can't keep score. I'm incapable of keeping score. How do we do it? We recognize that we've been forgiven. (laughs) I know some of you are like, what? That's it? That's all. We recognize that we've been forgiven. Forgiven people will forgive. It will flow. If you're experiencing the forgiveness of God, it will flow from your life. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Not because they're sorry. Not because they're crying. Not because they came back to you and realized the error of their ways. They might never do those things. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with one another. Some of us are fine with being together, but the second you have to bear with someone, you're out. I didn't sign up for that in church. I can be in church, but I'm not going to bear with people in church. Paul charges this church and says, you will have to bear with one another. Not just be with one another. It will turn in. If you do enough being, it's going to turn into bearing. And you've got to be willing to bear. Hey, do you know uh, the most recognized symbol in the world? The most recognized symbol in the world 
is actually this guy right here. A little more difficult than this, the second most um, recognized symbol in the world, Coke. Coke's the second most. Um, What's interesting about the cross is that this symbol has been portrayed throughout history, but it most likely differs from the cross that Eastern um, Rome used to crucify people. The cross didn't look like this. The cross most likely looked like that. And so we've seen a depiction of a lowercase t for quite some time. The truth is, is that the cross most likely looked like an uppercase t. The other thing that history has showed us or told us that's not accurate is that Jesus carried the entire cross. We now know that Jesus carried just the crossbar. And what is vertical was standing there waiting for him. So when it says that Jesus carried the cross, he didn't actually carry the whole thing. He just carried the crossbar and that post was waiting there for him. But probably the biggest, the most significant difference between this cross that we've come to know and what actually happened at the cross is the height of it all. When we see depictions of the crucifixion, Jesus is about 15 feet in the air for all to see. And when people came to tend to Jesus while he was being crucified, it was like they could barely get to him with the sponge. You know, like, I, how, you know, like, like John had to hoist Mary up, you know, or like that they were, they couldn't get to him. You could barely touch his feet type of a deal. And that's also inconsistent with what we know about crucifixion um, in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. The truth is, is that they were about five feet off of the ground. And maybe you've seen a painting or a portrayal of the crucifixion where Jesus is that low to the ground and there's something really upsetting about it to me. And I don't know that it's just that I've seen another image my whole life. As I look at it and see him so close to the ground, there's just something different about it. It's not removed. It's not far off. I'm not looking to it. It's like I'm looking at him. And Rome did this on purpose. There was something real intentional about the way that they crucified people. Any sort of public torture is intentional. They're trying to communicate a message. And the message that Rome was trying to communicate by crucifying people right down here is come close. Come really close. Come face to face with what will happen to you if you do not submit to Rome. I want you to see the sights. I want you to hear the sounds of crucifixion. And I want you to smell the smells. And I want you to never forget it. Never forget what will happen to you if you do not submit to Rome. That was the clear message they were communicating. That's why they crucified people the way that they did. The good news is is that on the same day, On the day that Jesus was crucified, it wasn't just the kingdom of Rome that was sending a message. The kingdom of God was also sending a message. The kingdom of God was sending a greater message. The kingdom of God had a far greater king. The kingdom of God was sending a greater message with greater significance. And the message was this, come close. Come face to face with the Savior of the world.
look him in the eyes, see the beard pulled from his face, see the body broken, hear the sounds, and never, ever forget it. Never get away from it. Let it change you. Rome was saying, come close and fear punishment. And the kingdom of God was saying, look at the punishment that brings us peace. And we never forget it. You're marked by it. Crucifixion was powerful. It was memorable. It was horrible. It was gruesome. And it was designed to communicate a message. And the kingdom of God is also communicating a message through that cross. There's a far greater kingdom we live in. We serve a far greater king. And there's a greater message, a message of forgiveness. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all missed it. None of us here would say that we're perfect. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Extending His mercy and His grace to us. And it's not designed just to come to us. It is designed to flow through us. And if it's not flowing through you, Scripture makes it pretty clear that it probably hasn't come to you you probably haven't come face to face with the cross. You probably haven't seen it for what it really is. We forgive because we've been forgiven. When we forgive, it's like we're saying, your kingdom come. I want the greater message, the far greater king the far greater significance. That's what I want. When we forgive, we're saying your kingdom come, which is really interesting because in that prayer where we're told over and over again to talk to God about forgiveness, what we talk to God about before we talk to God about forgiveness is we say to God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And my experience is that if you can pray that prayer honestly, where you're really saying, God, your kingdom come, I want the message that came from the kingdom of God. I want the greater king in my life. I want the greater message with greater significance. That if you can really honestly come to the place where it's not just lip service and you're saying, God, I want your kingdom to come, then you can forgive. It can flow if you've come to that place of surrender. It's not easy to pray that prayer. You know it. I mean, it's easy to just say it, but to mean it, where we really surrender and say, God, I want your kingdom. I want your kingdom to come more than I want to be right. I want your kingdom to come more than I want to be comfortable. I want your kingdom to come more than I want my pride. I want your kingdom to come more than I want my way. I want your kingdom to come more than I want to hold on and hold something tightly. I want to release I want to surrender to you. 
there's a war inside of us. You have conflicted desires. What we say we want is sometimes not necessarily what we want. James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's when your wife does that one thing and it just makes you go crazy. And she spent money again. And, and then you get in a fight. And then what, car, what causes quarrels and strife? It's when that guy cuts you off. Bad drivers just do it to you. And it's your boss. He always does that one thing. And that causes strife and quarrels. And it's probably your parents are getting up there in age and they don't understand. So there's fights and quarrels. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Bummer. I thought it was them. Of course it has to do with me. Don't they come from the war, the battle that's going on inside of you? Your desires are in conflict within you at all times. At all times, there's a war being waged on the battlefield of your heart. And the war has to do with desires. The battle has to do with desire. And any battle, any war is about victory. Any victory is about control. These desires are battling for control of your heart. And the kingdoms that are clashing are the kingdom of God and your little kingdom. And your little kingdom has everything to do with His dark kingdom. You do the work for Him. When we forgive, we're saying, your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, not my bitterness, not my unforgiveness, not my vengeance, not my hurt. Your kingdom come. I want your kingdom. I surrender to your kingdom. I've got battling desires, and they're battling for control. But what I'm saying when I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, is I I literally want your kingdom to come. Understand this, when I talk about surrender, I'm not asking you to surrender to them. I'm asking you to surrender to Him. Surrender to Him. When I ask you to surrender, to give up vengeance, to stop paying people, or to stop making people pay, I'm asking you to surrender to Him, not to them. You've been mixed up in a tug-of-war for quite some time. Everyone trying to pull the other to the other side, over the line, so that you win, and they know it. I'm asking you to give up your end of the rope, and I'm asking you to hand it over to Him. We surrender not to the offender, but we surrender to God who is our avenger. That's who we're surrendering to. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, which is an option for you today. Another option is that you can overcome 
evil with good. By forgiving, you can heap burning coals on someone's head. Can I ask you something? Is your grudge working? Like, is it working? Like the way hot coals would work on someone's head. Just the fact that you've had it for 15 years would suggest to me that maybe, maybe it's not working all that well. Maybe it's not getting any better. Maybe they're not, maybe it's not doing what you want it to to do. Maybe you should consider hot coals. Do not repay evil for evil, church. What happened to you was wrong. We're not asking you to pretend that it wasn't. It's totally wrong. Don't repay evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. We're not asking you to live in partnership with the people that have done the things that they've done to you. We're asking you to find peace. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It isn't about them, it's about Him. Whose job is it to avenge? Says James. Go ahead, you can answer. And whose job are you assuming when you avenge and hold a grudge? You leave the judging to the judge. Because when you hold a grudge, you slight the judge. When you hold a grudge, it's very evident that you don't trust the judge. It's not about them. It's about him. Worship team, would you come? Would you stand with me? Would you put the Lord's Prayer back up, Peter? Here we go again. Stand up, lads. Sing it like Irishmen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, I want to pray right now for deliverance. For people that have been bound uh, for years that you would set them free. That there would be something of a jailbreak this morning. That people would stop tolerating bondage in their lives. That they'd come running. Thank you for that cross and what was purchased We want everything that you bought on that cross. We want everything that you paid for. We want to enjoy it all. And we understand that you paid for a freedom that we're not experiencing. I ask that you would come through. Come through and fight on our behalf. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.
Divide.